Welcome to the Women's Wellbeing Academy podcast, brought to you by the University of New South Wales, Sydney. This series explores the impact of COVID-19 on various aspects of women's health and wellbeing. My name is Professor Bill Ledger. I'm Professor of Obstetrics and Gynaecology at University of New South Wales and the Royal Hospital for Women. And it's my pleasure to introduce my good friend and colleague, Dr. Amanda Henry, for her second podcast, looking um, on this occasion at the impact of COVID-19 on birth and beyond. Amanda's been introduced before, but just to briefly praise that she's an academic obstetrician who works as senior lecturer in the School of Women's and Children's Health at UNSW and also in an obstetric practice at St. George Public Hospital. She is a great supporter of the George Institute for Global Health as their senior research fellow, launching and embedding their global women's health program over the last two years. And she is also our gender co-champion on the UNSW Medicine Faculties Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Committee. Amanda's a true expert on the subject of women's health and pregnancy and an excellent choice to talk about COVID impacts on birth and beyond. So Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. The first topic for discussion I'd like to raise with you is what would you say are the effects of the current restrictions around the avoidance of spread of COVID-19 in Australia on care for women during labour and birth Should women be considering changing their plans about how and where to give birth during the pandemic? So I guess, look, the first thing to say is that full maternity care for labour and birth is still available to women in Australia and they shouldn't have, you know, worries about that. And we're we're very well staffed in terms of our maternity and midwifery units and we're we're all here and and ready to to care for women when it's time to have their babies. However, there are um, some modifications around support people and for those um, giving giving birth in hospital, which is the vast majority of births in Australia, some modifications around visiting. And so the main things there are that we are requesting and enforcing generally in the hospital birthing units that one support person only is to be physically present with the woman for labour and birth. And that's regardless of whether there's any suspicion that the woman might have COVID-19 or not. And the reason for this is to allow for the physical distancing, which you know all of us are, um, are expected to do, and for safety of staff and, and the other patients. And I should also point out, we're not uniquely discriminating against women giving birth here. So, for example, almost everywhere in the normal adult wards, if any visitors at all are allowed, it's only one visitor who is the patient's nominated nominated visitor. But of course, we are very mindful of how important this time in her life is to women and to uh, to their partner and support person. And, you know, we do also know that there are improved birth outcomes with support and consistent care in labour. So we're, you know, balancing its, it's trade-offs. And the balance that we've come to in Australia is, is for the single support person um, for labour and birth. We would urge women not to change their place of birth simply because of these restrictions and particularly not to contemplate a home birth if that was not already your plan without a skilled birth attendant present. Um, It's very important uh, regardless of where and when you have your baby that a skilled birth attendant midwifery with medical backup is available to make sure the outcomes for mum and baby are as good as possible. And Amanda, just going on from that comment, there was discussion about not allowing any partners or support persons to attend birthing 
I'm personally pleased that that wasn't brought forward for obvious reason, but maybe just comment on the thinking behind that and why as an idea it was rejected. So look, I guess obviously early in the the trajectory of, of the pandemic from the Australian point of view, it was very unclear in terms of uh, how big a first wave, I suppose, if you like, we, we would have. And obviously, the more people that you have to account for in any given healthcare scenario, the more difficult it, it potentially becomes in terms of spread of, uh, of COVID or indeed any other viral disease. So there certainly was a push to have no, no partners at all. And I believe that certain countries such as New Zealand did at least initially adopt that. But as I sort of briefly touched on before, our evidence around maternity care would say that women's labour and birth outcomes are better if they they do have um, consistent support during labour and birth and do have support person with them. And so overall in Australia we've come to to that balance of obviously trying to not overcrowd our units with you know multiple support people in the labour room but to have the support of partner or the woman's nominated support person to to keep things as as optimal as possible. Hmm, Okay and just a a brief one now that the availability of testing kits have become easier Mm -hmm. do you think there's a place for routinely screening women and their support person when they arrive for their birthing? So although you're, you're right, we've, we've certainly got um, lots of screening and we have very low threshold for screening now, but uh, even with the, the reasonably quick turnaround we have, we're still usually looking at a 24-hour turnaround for results. And obviously, of course, some women have prolonged labours or a prolonged induction of labour process and we'd get results back before they were having their baby. But for, for most women, we would only get results back after they had their baby. That, that itself could be could be useful information, but in terms of extra precautions such as uh, staff wearing full pre- personal protective equipment, the sort of screening at the uh, at the entrance to the labour floor probably isn't going to help us that much. The the other thing to say too there is that there certainly have been settings where the community transmission of COVID is high, such as in New York, where they did routinely screen um, women on admission to maternity units and did find that about 15% uh, of women uh, were actually COVID positive, but that obviously is in a setting where there there was a very high rate of community carriage, including, of course, women who were either asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic. And to the best of our knowledge from the extensive testing that's been done in Australia over these last weeks and months, uh, that's not the case here. So at this point in time, no, there isn't, uh, there's not a push for for routine uh, testing on admission. Sure. And just to describe the process at the moment, I think everyone has their temperature checked when they arrive at the hospital and is asked the questions about possible exposure and feeling unwell at the time they present. And Obviously, if things are um, identified that might put them in an at-risk category, then they would be tested. But yep. I think you're right. At the moment, for low-risk people, there's not been a move towards testing everybody. No, that's right. And yes, absolutely. Everybody, um, staff, patients, visitors to hospitals in New South Wales are all yeah, screened, both with screening questionnaires and with temperature checks at the door at this point in time. So let's move forward to after the baby's birth. And Firstly, talking about the, the, the nice normal delivery of a healthy child born at term. Mom would then go to the postnatal ward with her child. And then tell us about access of visitors to maternity wards 
and whether women have to go straight home from hospital after they've birthed if they're low risk or whether they are allowed to continue to stay on the postnatal ward for a while to recover from their labour. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for both of those things, so the visitors and then the hospital stay, it does vary a little um, from hospital to hospital. So first of all, with the, the visitors, so some hospitals uh, will only allow uh, one visitor, so either the partner or the nominated support person, which of course was usually the whoever was with the woman for the birth, for the duration of the stay after the birth. Other hospitals will allow multiple separate visitors as long as there is only one visitor at any given time point um, and as long as each visitor is screened prior to entrance to maternity as all hospital visitors are. So it is worth checking what the uh, what the policy of your local hospital is. However, regardless of whether it's a uh, single person at all times or uh, separate visitors as long as only one at a time, children are not allowed. So um, the, any older siblings will need to wait to meet the new baby face to face when mum comes home. In terms of hospital stay, there are also no hard and fast rules. Um, So look, if women are well uh, and have no complications, then they are generally encouraged to to go home sort of 24 hours or so after vaginal birth or two to three days after a a caesarean section with sort of midwifery support program or home visiting follow-up. However, this isn't mandated in any way. And obviously, as is the case in in, uh, in non-COVID times, women with complications or a difficult birth or, you know, any woman who's got another reason why a longer hospital stay is desirable, such as a, as a history of a major mental health disorder and needing a period of observation, um, they're still being encouraged to stay as, as long as is medically required. And as a follow-up to that, Amanda, a fair proportion of babies spend some time in the neonatal intensive care after mm-hmm. mom's birth. What about the situation where mom has a child in the NICU and would like to go obviously visit the child? Who's allowed and and how, how does that work? So mum, presuming she's well herself, obviously can um, can go in and and visit baby in the NICU. And uh, again, it's it's sort of one person at a time. And I believe most nurseries are restricting to mother and partner only and not usually at the same time. And then looking at the scenario where there is a suspicion that the mom-to-be or her partner uh, may be suspected of having the COVID-19 virus or is known to be positive, one or other, what would happen then when she presented to the hospital in early labour? Look, if we suspect that either the woman or or the partner might have COVID, so for example, fever or um, respiratory symptoms on admission, or obviously if we already knew from recent illness and COVID swabbing that either of them had uh, COVID at at that time of admission in labour, then um, the staff caring for them will wear full um, PPE, so full personal protective equipment, gown, mask, goggles, gloves, and the couple will be expected to stay strictly inside the birthing room and the ensuite that's that's allocated to them so for example in normal times you know as well as as the room you're in there's also you know a common kitchen area waiting area which people are sort of free to to wander around in but um obviously not if there's a concern or knowledge of a COVID-19 positive woman or her partner and then look depending on the symptoms um of the woman and partner they may be asked to to wear a mask um and this would especially be so at the time of birth and use of hand sanitizer also at this time to to minimise the, um, the risk of transmission to the newborn. 
the other thing to say there is if the woman were to need a cesarean section, then there are very strict steps in that case that, and we're talking a number of members of the team in, in theatre, you know, we're talking sort of eight or eight to 10 people all together in, in that operating room, all needing to follow very strict steps to minimise um, their risk of infection or cross-infection. Um, and, and so if the woman does need a C-section, then that means the partner is not able to accompany the woman around to cesarean section the way um, that would, would normally be the case. And would you say, Amanda, that for the person who's suspected yeah. of being COVID positive, the correct means to conduct her birth is just to perform an, a cesarean section? Um, yeah, really uh, uh, hot question, that one. So, look, although overseas and, and, in fact, particularly in China, their case series, almost all women um, with COVID-19 were delivered by a C-section, this appears to have mostly been a matter of policy um, rather than being medically necessary. And, and, look, obviously, they were very, as a country, they were really early in that pandemic curve uh, and, you know, didn't know what transmission rates would be like. And so they sort of had a policy of basically C-section for everyone and then the baby separated from the mother for a couple of weeks. However, as far as we know, unless women are severely unwell with COVID-19, there's not an obvious advantage either to the woman in having a C-section um, or in terms of um, decreasing transmission to the baby. So in other words, this is what I'm saying is that um, we believe that C-section should only be for usual medical indications um, for a cesarean, not just because the mother is COVID positive. So it can be quite intimidating if you're having a C-section under epidural and wide awake surrounded by people in spacesuits. Uh, yeah. There's been some quite interesting writing from women who've been through that experience. Mm, mm. Just to reinforce that it's obviously mandatory that the personal protective equipment is worn, but we would try and still make it as humane and as gentle and generous as an experience as we could for her and her partner. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose the other thing that uh, that I didn't mention before in terms of um, labour with a woman who is known or strongly suspected to be COVID positive is, although again, it's always the woman's choice, but um, an epidural uh, would usually be offered um, reasonably early on. Um, and the reason for that um, is because if the woman were then to need an emergency um, caesarean section, if there's already a good working epidural block on board, then um, that minimises the risk that the woman might need to go off to sleep. So to have a general anaesthetic for the caesarean, which is better for her and baby anyway, um, but it also um, minimises uh, the risk of, of transmission, um, general anaesthetic you know, procedures, putting um, a tube down a woman's throat to help her breathe as part of uh, that procedure are sort of very high risk in terms of um, the causing droplets. It's an aeros aerosolizing procedure and therefore increasing risk of, of COVID to other people. So, um, yeah, for the, uh, the we hope, very occasional case where we, we had a COVID positive woman uh, in labour, then they they could expect to be asked um, whether whether they um, might consider an epidural. Although, as I says, it will it will always be their choice. If the woman is uh, or partner are either suspected of having COVID or proven to be COVID positive, what would happen after the baby is born? Can mom still, um, you know, cuddle and hold her baby? Can she still breastfeed her baby, or would there be restrictions on that? Look, regarding the baby, um, fortunately, rates of children, including newborns, getting infected are 
are low um, and serious disease in this age group is, is really rare to the best of our knowledge. And again, I should say it, it uh, things are evolving. So it's the 5th of May as we're recording this. So always uh, good to, to check if there've been any updates. So look, although at this point in time, although precautions are recommended to decrease the chance of um, a COVID-19 infected mother or partner transmitting to the baby. So, you know, frequent hand washing, um, wear a mask when you're breastfeeding or doing close cares like changing nappy for the baby, then potentially there's much more um, harm than good in separating a newborn who is otherwise well, so doesn't otherwise need to go to the nursery from his or her mother. And uh, some data out of New York would, you know, would support this as well. Um, I think in their series of a little bit over 43 COVID positive mothers, none of the newborns on swapping in the first 24, 48 hours of life showed um, any evidence of having COVID themselves. So look, the New South Wales position is in general that a, a well baby stays with mum in a single room um, after the birth unless um, mum's too unwell to care for the baby or specifically request that baby be cared for in the nursery. And uh, as far as breastfeeding goes, uh, again, fortunately in this point, at this point in time, there's no evidence um, of COVID-19 being transmitted in breast milk. So we don't believe that, you know, that is a is a risk um, to baby in terms of COVID transmission. And, uh, you know, we know that breast milk is the uh, the best form of nutrition for baby if mothers are able to breastfeed. And so again, that that's encouraged. Yeah, and I think on that last point, Amanda, it also seems to be safe to express breast milk and store it for use, you know, for example, in the situation where the baby's in the NICU. So yeah. uh, it's quite reassuring, I think, to moms to hear that. Okay, well, th this is all very positive. And then let's look ahead you know, mom and baby are well, they're ready to be discharged home. What extra precautions and what extra things should the parents think about when they're ready to take baby home uh, and avoid, you know, risk of transmission in the home environment? So in terms of, look, what we have available for mums and babies when we go home, so we do still have home visiting midwifery support um, programs. They're different names depending on different hospitals. So if there's some some follow-up support there. We do still have our, you know, our lactation support groups, even though they might not all be kind of meeting face-to-face -face on the maternity wards each day or running necessarily the face-to-face -face classes. The major hospitals all do, you know, have lactation consultants and they can be, be contacted and can can give help and potentially sort of one-on-one -on -one visits back to the hospital as needed. It's certainly in um, in my local area, there've been the early childhood centres have set up virtual mothers groups. So although the face-to-face -face mothers groups that that I know are you know big big support, especially for many first-time mums, aren't happening at the moment. The early childhood centres are very aware of, and family centres are very aware of having um, those connections and that support for mums and, uh, and and are setting up virtual mothers groups. And other, you know, support groups are still around, of course, might be online um, or over the phone, but things such as Breastfeeding Association, Beyond Blue, they're, they're all still out there. And of course, uh, for serious um, medical issues, uh, your you know your GP or your emergency department um, is is still still very much available. Um, so I think we, we do still still have supports um, available to to women. Um, they they may just be in a in a slightly different format. 
In terms of minimising, you know, the risk ongoing of COVID-19 for themselves um, and their babies, um, this is, I'm talking obviously in the, the vast majority of cases where there's no reason to suspect the mum or partner has COVID-19 themselves. Essentially, you keep doing what we're all being asked to do, following physical distancing rules, frequent hand washing, you know, respiratory hygiene. So if you need to cough or sneeze, into your elbow or use a tissue and get rid of it straight away and then wash your hands. Same um, other things still apply. Go get tested if any respiratory symptoms or a fever. And I probably would add here for in the postnatal period for mothers, get appropriate medical care if you're unwell. So um, in our sort of fortunately low uh, chance of, of COVID, all the potential post-birth complications are still with us. So such as, you know, mastitis, a uh, bladder infection or wound infection after a C-section for example, they're, yep, they're all still around. Um, and in Australia, they're actually going to be much more likely to be a cause of serious illness in, um, in new mums than, than COVID is. So uh, if, you know, if you're unwell, please do uh, seek medical attention promptly. And look, it's it's not a specific against COVID-19, but just in general, in terms of for, you know, mums and new babies, so vaccinate against what you can, such as seasonal influenza um, and pertussis. Uh, and this includes for partners or um, carers or very close contacts for the baby, such as grandparents, if you're allowing them to come and visit and get the usual postnatal checkups and vaccinations for yourself and your baby um, as outlined in, in your blue book. And then, Amanda, the other side to that question is about the postnatal check at the hospital, which is part of the routine care that we offer to women. What would be the process for the postnatal visit to the hospital, um, you know, a few weeks after baby's born and mom's gone home? Yeah. So look, it, again, it depends a little bit um, from, varies a bit from health service to health service. In public hospitals in general, a lot of the sort of the routine six-week checkup back at the hospital doesn't exist anymore anyway. That was sort of pre-COVID. If you're part of a midwifery group practice, that may well um, be happening and, and probably still is happening. So your midwife can inform you. For women otherwise, mostly that six-week check would actually be back with the GP anyway. And so that would continue to to be the case. For women who've had uh, particular complications that we do tend to, to see back, so for example, women who've had blood pressure disorders of pregnancy, we might make them a visit back after a few weeks in our sort of high-risk clinics and, and that would th those visits um, generally will still be, be going ahead. And again, if you're uh, in, in private care, for example, private obstetrician or, or midwife, then they would usually continue to, to do that sort of six-week checkup themselves, but they'll advise you of that. And then Amanda, one final point, which is parochial to Sydney, but you work in St George Hospital as an obstetrician and mm -hmm. we have input into the system here at the Royal Hospital for Women in Randwick. Mm -hmm. How many cases of COVID virus in pregnancy and labour have you seen over the, the, the course of this uh, pandemic? So I haven't actually seen any at St George where we've had a confirmed case. We have had half a dozen probably who had some, you know, respiratory symptoms, so got swabbed, including a couple of women who did end up needing a C-section. So we've been, you know, the, the, the full sort of space gear that you were uh, ref referring to before. Um, but fortunately, at our, our institution, everything has, has so far come back negative, which uh, is not, I don't think, a reflection that um, we're, we're doing especially well in any particular sense. I think it is, fortunately, a, a reflection that in Australia, the overall cases of, of COVID-19 in general and in pregnancy and birth in particular are, are very low. 
No, and we've seen a similar lack of, of confirmed cases at Royal Hospital for Women. And I think you'd, you would join me in, in saying that this doesn't mean that we can let our guard down and relax the kind of precautions that you've been talking to us about in this podcast. We, we have to remain cautious and continue to practice all of the rules that you've outlined so well, but that women coming to the hospital to birth and to look after their children here can, I think, be reassured that the chances of their contracting COVID virus because they're resident in hospital for a few days is very small in Australia because of the lack of cases. People worry that coming to hospital exposes them to risk, and I think we can be reassuring on that point. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Amanda, thank you for a most informative podcast. Thank you again, Amanda. Great, thank you very much. For more information about this podcast, our guests and upcoming episodes, please visit the UNSW Equity, Diversity and Inclusion website.